This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Hooray! We are almost done Leviticus today. We only have 10 more chapters to do. I just thought we'd be here for three or four hours today. Um, no, we're not, we're not going to. This is, our, um, this is our last week in this series. And, you know, you know when you do something that you don't, like you don't love, but then you look back on it and go, that really wasn't so bad. That's what I said to Dave this morning. When I got up, I said, I am very excited to go to church this morning. I am always excited, but this week I'm even more excited because we're ending Leviticus. And I said to him, you know, that wasn't so bad. Perhaps le- next year we can do Leviticus 2.0. I'm kidding. Maybe in a couple of years. Um, The thing is, um, this week we're going to end Leviticus. Next week we're going to be shifting gears to talk about the Passion Week. And um, I I am praying that over the next couple of weeks that we would be reinvigorated as to the person of Jesus. Uh, You know, what happens a little bit is that if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that um, every year Easter comes and every year Christmas comes. It's a funny thing about the calendar. Um, but what happens to us is that we can become dull in our senses to what God did for us, to what Jesus did for us. And my prayer over these next couple of weeks is that God is going re- to reawaken us to a new sense of wonder and awe of what Jesus did for us at Easter. So you can be excited about that if you were planning on taking a week off because you couldn't take any more Leviticus. Look, you can come back next week. If you're at home watching online and you've been afraid... Because, you know, you know, when you're watching online, did you know this? Maybe people watching online know this today, too. You can fast forward things. It's a fun thing about being online. Some of you wish you were online right now. Okay. So if this is your first week here today, we want to say, we do want to say welcome to you. And we're, we are currently trucking our way through the book of Leviticus. And we are asking ourselves this question. In what ways does this book have relevance for us today? Because we know that 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I mean, I remind myself of this often uh, when I'm reading the Bible, that all scripture, all scripture is useful. It's breathed out by God. And at the end of the message today, we're going to summarize all the things we learned about in this book, but my real hope for all of us is that we would never read the book of Leviticus the same way. My prayer is that instead of scrolling right through it, that we'd be challenged and reminded that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the God of the Old Testament is not like some angry curmudgeon that like didn't eat breakfast, now it's three in the afternoon, He didn't eat lunch either, and he's cranky. He's angry. This is not the God we serve. This is not the God of Leviticus. And um, in these last 10 chapters, we can see that, um, and we really are going to get through 10 chapters today, but we're going to do it in in a fun way. See how I said that? Just like a prophetic. I'm going to do it fun. It's going to be fun. Um, The first, in the last, 11 through 15, chapters 11 through 15, which we talked about last week, talks a lot about the holiness code, and we talked about that. If you didn't, um, if you weren't here last week, you can watch it online, and we had baby goats, and they were so cute. And then uh, in 17 through 23, 
God continues to talk about um, the holiness code, but it's predominantly a corporate holiness code. So 11 through 15, he's talking about personal holiness, that each of us is called to personal holiness. And this is still true today. God calls us to be holy. The New Testament says, God says, be holy because I am holy. For God is a consuming fire. This is true about God. It's not popular, but true. God is holy. And to be holy means to be set apart. And so God calls us to be set apart and to be different. And then in 17 through 23, he continues on this. Uh, the, the writer of Leviticus continues to talk about the holiness code, but it's predominantly about uh, how we live corporately. And this is important because we are uh, reminded that hyper-individualism can never, hyper-individualism can never be what God has called us to. Um, yes, God calls each of us to personal responsibility, but he also calls us to work together. And this is why it's so important that we come together uh, as, a, as a community. We, we can't just, it can't just be you and Jesus. That's never the call in the Bible. That's never the call uh, to the Christian church. We need each other. Why? Because I have deficits in my character that you don't have, and I, I actually need you to help me. You have deficits in your character that I, that Dave doesn't have. See how I just did that there? <laughs> uh, and you need, we need each other. We need each other, and so we are called to a corporate uh, responsibility. Leviticus 17 through 23 talks a lot about, um, there's a lot of chapters about even the environment. By the way, God was the first environmentalist. As Christians, let me just say this, this will be the only political thing I say today. Uh, as Christians, we, we should be people who are taking care of God's world because, because the Bible tells us about that. This is not, this should not, as Christians, we shouldn't be like, Jesus is coming back, so throw the diapers out the window, everybody. Do you remember when people did that in the 80s, though? Like, if you, so I'm going to age myself here. I can remember driving down the highway as a little kid, and people would be, you'd be, like, dodging, like, you're playing a video game. That's why some of you are really good at those, like, Space Invader games. She had to dodge diapers on the highway. As Christians, though, listen, we, we must, God cares about our world. If God cares about our world, so should we. Now, that doesn't mean that, listen, anything taken to an extreme becomes idolatry. So, so don't hear me that we should become, I, like, I, but, but I do think we, we should be environmentalists. Yes, because God is an environmentalist. Because he created our world. He breathed life into our world. We should be grateful to live here. Okay. Today, though, I want to focus on just one chapter in the 10 chapters left, and that is Leviticus chapter 23. And today, I have entitled this message, The God of the Party. And um, what I really wanted to do at the beginning of the message, I'm just going to tell you, I didn't, I didn't get it all organized, but I did really want to have a dance party at the beginning, but you do not want to see me dance. So, um, and particularly because I'm wearing heels, we would definitely be on worship fails then, and we do not want our church be getting on that. If you don't know about worship fails, it just... Never mind. The point being, if I danced, I would definitely be highlighted on that meme page. Uh, but what I really want to emphasize today is that Leviticus, the end part of Leviticus, focuses on a God who is a God of celebration and party. And uh, those of you that can dance, I'm praying that you will demonstrate at the end of the message that the Lord will talk to you about that. Um, in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, God lays out all the festivals 
for the people of Israel. Um, he lays out everyone, and these festivals were basically parties set out by God, which he commanded people to celebrate. By the way, this is the kind of God you serve. A God that takes an entire chapter and commands people to party. Like, you must party. He doesn't say it like that. He has a different voice. But for a lot of us, Leviticus is like this book where God's so angry and mad. But it's actually not a book like that at all. At the end of the chapter, as he's telling people how to live in all these holiness codes, he reminds the people that they must be people of celebration. Remember, we are asking ourselves the question in the entire book of Leviticus, how do you orient a people to living in freedom when all they have known is captivity? We recognize that the context of the book of Leviticus matters. The people of Israel have been in slavery for almost 500 years, and God is reorienting them. How do you live when you've been in slavery so long? I would suggest again and again that this is the question we must ask ourselves. When many of us have lived in slavery to so many things for so long, how do we orient ourselves to live in the freedom Jesus has now called us to live in? Now, feasts were not unique in the ancient Near East. What you're going to see um, it, it, as we look at these feasts is that they were planned around, these feasts were planned around harvest and planting seasons. And this is very normal. This is very ubiquitous in Near Ancient Eastern uh, places. Many different types of people had feasts that were planned around harvest. The question we have to ask ourselves here is what does this particular arrangement of feasts tell us about this God? Tell us about the only God and his people. Um, they, they say uh, what was hard about COVID, and I think all of us can agree about this, is that there was nothing to look forward to. I've referenced this a bunch of times, but we all recall the first two weeks. That was, like, so awesome because um, like, unless you were a doctor here, and I'm sorry, or a medical person, you had to work, so just ignore my comments. But for those of us that weren't in hospitals and things, um, it's kind of fun for the first two weeks, yes? We all watched Star Wars, and you finally understood what that was all about. Maybe you didn't. Maybe, maybe you can send me a letter about that this week, but... Like, we did fun things, and we made sourdough, and it was neat. We bought a dog. All the things. But then, somewhere around the two-week mark, it got weird. It got so weird, because you didn't know what to do. Every day you got up, and you went on Zoom for three million hours, and you really patted yourself on the back for being a technological guru. And then you did the same thing every day single day forever. There was nothing to make, nothing new. You trolled the internet for recipes, yes? We all bought air fryers, and we became air fryer people. <laughs> we also bought those hot pots, those Instapots. It didn't matter, because you could have been working with a slow cooker at that point in time. Why we all bought Instapots, I do not know. It was like we were living in, oh, we're living in hyper-wild time. I only have 18 hours <laughs> to make myself beef cordon bleu. And then beef became so expensive, so we were just trying to become vegetarians because it was cheaper. <sighs> and you were so upset because gas was so cheap. Do you remember when gas was 66.6 .6 cents? 
And the, but there was nowhere to go. There was absolutely nowhere to go, so it was a nightmare. We all became walkers. There was nothing to look forward to. I remember, like, in about the middle of April, because, you know, they were saying foolish things, like, oh, we're coming back at Easter. And we never, we were not coming back at Easter, never. And that's when, if you were a parent, that's around the time that the, that the government told us the kids would not be going back to school till September. And you had become a grade two teacher. And you didn't ever want to become a grade two teacher. And you didn't have enough computers and everyone in your neighborhood was always on the internet. And you were always mad because you knew that they were just looking at memes. And you had important things to do. Anyways, it was a nightmare. I don't know why I'm recalling this right now. The thing is, um, imagine the Israelites, though. They're in the desert for 40 years. Okay, so now the three years of the pandemic seemed long and horrible, and it seemed like 3,000. But imagine, like, and they knew they were going to be there because they messed up, and God kept telling them, you're going to be here forever, for 40 years. When I tell my children that I am beyond 40 years, they always say rude things like, you were, you, so you were born in the 1900s? I feel offended by that. I feel very offended. I feel very offended when I see that the time between 1980 and 1937 is the same time as like now and some, sometime where we were all alive, like 1995, unless you're a young adult and then you weren't. But I, I know I did wrong math there. Your brain, okay, it's fine. It's fine. Just, okay, so the Israelites are going to be in the desert for 40 years. 40 years is a long time to be eating sand sandwiches. It's a long time to be collecting manna. It's a long time to be eating quail. And God um, needed to give the people something to anchor their lives to, some joy to anchor themselves to. You see, the, here's the thing. God cares about your joy. This is what you must understand, that the book of Leviticus reminds us that God cares about your joy. He wants us to live out of a sense of profound joy and celebration. So he sets out to tell them what their party schedule would be like. Leviticus 23, 1-4 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Now, when we read that, I think what we read is like we read it in a King James voice. So we read it like, these are my appointed I don't. I don't know. We don't use the word feast a lot. Like nobody says to you, hey, I'm wondering what you're doing Friday night. Would you like to come over to a feast at my house? Like people ask you that. You wonder if you should bring your medieval costume. Separate, uh, uh, change the word feast, though, for party. And it sort of gets the, at the, what God is saying. Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are my appointed parties. These are parties of the Lord. And you shall proclaim them as holy convocations. Like God actually made a party holy. They are my appointed parties. Um, appointed is an interesting word. It means uh, a time or a season, like a specific, God actually appointed. He didn't just say, here's some suggestions for you. 
my kids all are, uh, two of my kids are born in March, four days apart from each other. And um, March is very stressful because you have to still have parties for little people. And um, now, and we missed a bunch of years of parties, so I've been the party queen this weekend. And I was, I was Googling, like, for months before, like, what can you do for parties? Do you know that's not helpful? If you're looking to start a party right now, no, don't Google it. It's stressful because you'll realize you're not Martha Stewart and you're not good at making things. <laughs> um, what's better if somebody says, my, my son had an appointed party this year. I called the Laser City. They planned the party. We just showed up. And um, this is kind of what God does. He doesn't just say to the people, hey, here's some suggestions for you. He actually appoints them. And he, he gives seven feasts. There are seven feasts in Leviticus. Now we know from the book of Leviticus that numbers matter. Seven is the number of completion. Something cool about how God does this, that he just really cares about the details. Listen, if you're here today, I want you to know that God cares about the details of your life. Cares about every detail of your life. So here are the seven feasts. Uh, we have the Sabbath. And now the Sabbath happens every week. Um, but it's one of his feasts. By the way, Sabbath is an example of us trusting God. Some of you are in university right now. Let me just speak to you just for a minute. You're in university right now and you're overwhelmed. You're in the midterms. I feel like you're in midterms for the whole term. The entire term, you're in midterms. One weekend, you're in midterms. Yes, I see those nods. Uh, and you feel like uh, you, don't, you don't have any time to have a Sabbath. The Sabbath is for you, not for God. The Sabbath is a time for you to say, hey God, I'm going to give you one whole day of my week, and I'm going to trust that my one whole, th this will be really important for your life as you grow your life. Uh, how we decide to rest when we're in our 20s, matters when we're in our 70s. If you don't want to get burnt out, you don't want to lose yourself, learn to Sabbath. Now, I'm saying that to all of us. It's just easy, because how many of you know, it's e if you learn to rest in your 20s, it's going to be easier to rest in your 40s. I wish that someone had have almost mandated this to me in my 20s. And I had one person say, well, you don't understand. I'm like a physics major. I could never take a day off studying. And I'm going to stare at you with a pregnant pause right now and say that the best thing that we can all do is say yes to God. The way that we put trust in God is not just by how we talk, but actually how we live. And this is not a um, legalistic thing. God does this for you so that you can breathe. He brings rhythm to his people. So he says to the people, you're going to be wandering for 40 days, but one day every week you're going to have a Sabbath. And then he tells them that they're going to have the party of the Passover and the unleavened bread. And this is to remind them of when they were saved out of Egypt, that God took them. The unleavened bread, they remember that they had to leave in a rush because God saved them just in a hurry. This is a really important festival for us to remember because it reminds us that God often will come to us like this. Like one day things are horrible and the next day everything has changed. This is why we cannot give up hope. We remember that, that God just keeps saving his people. Every year he said, you're going to remember this. You're gonna. And then it's the, uh, the festival of first fruits. This is when they would, you would plant your harvest. You, you know, we know this a little bit in Calgary because um, it's hard to grow things here. Yes, everybody knows this. 
unless you're a few of my friends that are urban farmers, in which case you can grow everything. But you know when you plant something and you're so excited when the first tomato comes? You feel like when that first tomato comes, at least when it comes for me, or the first cucumber, or the first zucchini, I could give up my day job and become a farmer now. It's the kind of gifts that I have. I mean, don't be mad at me. It's just a gift. And God said that what, what, what the people of Israel were to do when the first fruits would come, they were to thank God in advance for what was coming. This is a really important thing because we, we like to despise the days of small beginnings. Like, well, it's only one cucumber. We don't get too, some of you are the king and queen of don't get too excited. It's like something you say is a, like things are, have kind of gone, well, don't get too, and God reminded people, no, 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 get excited. Get excited because that one little thing is a spark of hope. Get excited about that. That's, that's what God calls us to. Okay, so then we have the Feast of Weeks, or uh, we, we, in the New Testament, it began to be called the Feast of Pentecost. That was um, when the harvest came, 50 days after the first fruits. Um, and this is uh, where we were thanking God for the harvest that has come. This idea that we keep thanking in the middle, in the middle of life is a theme. Okay, uh, and so then we have Rosh Hashanah. I'm saying it wrong, but you can read it. So, And that's the Feast of Trumpets. That's the New Year celebration. Listen, our God partied like it was 1999, the end of the year. The end of the year, he said, it's the new year, you're going to party. You're going to keep focused on me in the new year. Now, this was very important because the neighbors all celebrated the new Now, they didn't, by the way, it wasn't January 1st, but it was somewhere coming into the fall. And um, the neighbors partied, and it was debauchery. It was insanity. This is when a lot of um, children would be sacrificed. God said, listen, you're going to party. You're, you're a human. You need to party. But you're going to remember me. You're going to remember that I am the beginning. And then we have uh, Yom Kippur, and we talked about this last week, the Day of Atonement, where they would take that little goat, and the goat would signify, you can't do it on your own. You're unable to. But I am more than able. And then they have the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is where, um, and Jewish people still do this today, they make little huts, and they remember that they were once homeless, but that God has given them home. And this is an amazing, um, an amazing reminder of what God does. Okay, so the question is this. This is what I began to question. But so what? So God gave a bunch of parties. Who, what, what does that matter to me today? Why should I be reading Leviticus like a fiend? Um, and I, I have a couple thoughts about this. Uh, the first one is that it calls us to a rhythm of life. G- listen, God has called you to a rhythm of life. This is why, and this may be one of the most important things we say in the 21st century church today, that we're called to a rhythm of life. You are a human being, not a human doing. You're a human being. God calls you to a rhythm to breathe in and exhale. Some of you have been just holding your breath for a long time. I want you to remember that our God, our God, in Leviticus 23, called his people to a rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. This is why Sabbath is so important, because every week we need to have that exhale where we breathe out. This is the rhythm of God. Listen, 
you wonder, sometimes we wonder why. God, I've given my life to you. I worship you on Sunday and like nothing is working out. I'm stressed and I'm broke and nothing's going right and I'm angry. Perhaps it could be that you have not attended to the rhythm of life. I I know for myself, listen, uh, as I'm preaching this to you, this is something that I am working on myself. I used to think of weird things, like I couldn't possibly take a day off because that would mean that, like, I'd have a day off. That doesn't even make sense. That, like, 0% makes sense. Listen, 0% makes sense for us to say we need to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're called to a rhythm of life. And um, you know what's cool is that there's this idea of regular time and then appointed time. In Scripture, Scripture talks a lot about time, by the way. And there's regular times and then there's appointed times. The festivals, the, um, the parties, they were like appointed times. God's called you to have regular rhythms in your life where you're looking forward to things. This is not an unspiritual endeavor. This is a God-ordained thing that God put in your life. Uh, The second thing is this, is that uh, we remember that life is something to be celebrated. It's easy to forget this, isn't it, in the middle of difficulties? And and then also, life doesn't depend on us. That's why we can rest. Your life doesn't depend on you, by the way. I know you are the captain of your own ship. And I know that you have it all together. The good news is Leviticus 23 reminds us that it's not all dependent on you. Your worth doesn't come from doing, but by being. You know, um, when when I forget this, and everything becomes about doing, and then this is where we all edge towards burnout. And when burnout happens, uh, the people I love get the worst of me. When you edge towards burnout, the people you love get the worst of you, get the worst version of you. Leviticus chapter 23, all of Leviticus, in fact, tells us that God is interested. He's really interested in who you are as a person. Now, if you are a natural doer, well, this is easy to talk about and hard to live out. But God took verse after, you can read Leviticus 23 this week, it's long. He took verse after verse after verse to tell all the people, and this is a day that you're going to have a festival and you're not to do any other work. It's like kind of the opposite boss, right, that says to you, hey, listen, listen, you're going to take this job, but seven times a year, you are not allowed to do anything for this company, nothing, zilch nothing that would you know there'd be people lined up you'd win employer of the year forever this is the god we serve and it also reminds us we can remember what god has done if your life is on insane mode all the time you can't remember what you ate for lunch yesterday let alone what god did for you five years ago if you're anything like me like i um I must stop and recount what God has done for me. It's so easy to forget. It is so easy to forget what God has already done for us. Some of you are facing mountains right now, and the remedy is not to ramhorn your way through it. The remedy is to stop and remember what God did. 
Remember what he did five years ago. Remember what he did seven years ago. This year, um, on November the 5th, we're going to celebrate our fifth anniversary as a church. Uh, It's easy for me to forget what God did for us. But look at us today. Yes, we have to recount the story of what God did for Journey Church over and over and over again. Some of you came to, to Jesus in the last five years because of what God has done. We're going to recount that story over and over again. Why? Because otherwise we grow weary. We forget what God did and what he's done. What he's done uh, becomes like, it becomes like a carrot in front of us. Some of you were flat broke and never could own anything in your whole life. And now you own a house and you're mad because you don't like the floor in your house. Some of you remember when you were swimming in student debt and it felt like you would never get out. You need to stop and recount what the Lord has done. Our partying, our our ability to celebrate is an ability to remember what God has done in our life. And all of these celebrations, God was calling the people, remember what I have done. Remember what I have done. Don't get stuck in a ditch because things aren't perfect right now. Things will never, you'll never get to the point in life where you're like, and all the wheels are on. Every wheel of my train. Because you know what? You keep adding, you keep adding cabooses to your train. You just, we must remember what the Lord has done. I was thinking about this, this is not uh, in the notes, but Leviticus 23 reminds us about the nature of celebration. I, I want you to be reminded that these celebrations were mandated while the children of Israel were out in a desert. And nothing was really going well for them. They had left Egypt. Yes, they were no longer slaves. But like now they're kind of slaves to the desert. I was thinking about this because I was thinking all week about how I was going to speak about the God of the party and God calls us to party. And then I was thinking about some of you and I was thinking about some of the circumstances you find yourself in right now and how it seems like, I, I, I almost was saying to the Lord, like it seems mean to tell people that God is a God of celebration and party when there's just, it's hard when I sit across my desk from you or I sit at a coffee shop with you and I hear the pain in your voice and then to stand up and say like God's the God of the party it felt like trite at some level and I was really reminded really reminded that God called the people of Israel to celebrate in the midst of sorrow And there's something profoundly powerful about that. I know there's a lot of talk, and a lot of people I like, theologians that I love and listen to that are talking a little bit or pushing back into evangelicalism about toxic positivity. And if you've been on the internet at all, you'll know about this. I'm not, I do do not believe for a minute that Leviticus is calling us to toxic positivity. Now, if you haven't heard about it, let me just fill you in for a second. Toxic positivity is where we like. Everything's a train wreck, and we go, praise God. I'm an overcomer. (laughs) And everybody around you is like, whoa, your house is on fire. (laughs) And that's not healthy. It would probably be good if you turned around and went, whoa, we should call the fire department right now. I'm not talking about that. But the ditch of that, of like throwing out toxic positivity, is that we become like, everything's terrible. I have a hangnail. I probably shouldn't go on. 
that's, that's the opposite of that, right? And that's, that's not what God, Leviticus 23 actually tells us that there's some power in praise, that there is power in celebration, that we must say that it is not all about us. And God certainly has brought me to this place. So he certainly has something in the future for me. And this means that sometimes we have to square our shoulders back and say what David said to his soul. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your trust in God. There are times where we are called to supernatural celebration. Because you might be in a desert of the soul where it does not look like there is any oasis around. And where it seems like you might be in that desert for 10, 20, 30, 40 more years. But you say, in Jesus' name, I'm called to an appointed time of celebration. I'm going to square my shoulders back. I'm going I'm to worship the one who has brought me this far. Sometimes we need to speak to our souls. Because I know if I don't speak to my soul, guess I, I get caught in the fetal position. I just like lay and I feel sad for myself and I put on sad music. This is what we are called to. We are, we are called to be people of appointed times. Now there is a time and season. Listen, don't hear me wrong today. There is a time and season to address lament, to lament. There is a time and season to like pour out our hearts before the Lord and before each other. But there also is a time to celebrate. This is why, by the way, just, just for your own knowledge, this is why we start every service with celebration. There's theological reason for it. Because we understand, we understand that I might have come in, or you might come in some week feeling under it. But we're going to praise God anyways. We're going to celebrate anyways. Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, tells us about the nature the nature of celebration. The celebration, like every other thing, is not just about our feelings, but it is what God has called us to. Okay, now here's, here's the crux of it. These, these festivals also tell us a lot about our Christianity, a lot about Jesus, because Jesus himself has come to be the fulfillment of all of the festivals that are laid out in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, our if you, um, and we're going to just look at them in the Passover, we see that Jesus, and by the way, what's so cool about this is the way that uh, Jesus' life worked so that he was the fulfillment of all these uh, festivals. And, and this has, in a minute, we're just going to see, this has profound implications for us. In the Passover, we see that Jesus is our Passover lamb. This is why, like, the actual timing of Jesus' death mattered because he was he was crucified just as the Passover happened, reminding us that he is he could have he could have been crucified June twelfth. But God was in charge of all the details. Don't tell me God is not in charge of the details of your life. He's in charge of every single detail. He can work it out. Jesus is the Passover lamb. In the festival of unleavened bread, we see that Jesus delivers us from slavery. And we, he keeps telling us it is for freedom, the Bible says, that Christ has set us free. He has set you free from all of your things. In the festival of first fruits, we see that Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. And, and the book of Corinthians, Corinthians tells us this. Corinthians 15 says, Jesus, I read that for a thousand years and didn't know what that was about. What's Paul talking about? Talking about Jesus being the first fruits of our resurrection, whatever. You just kind of 
No, he's, he's bringing, this is, why, this is why understanding Leviticus matters, everyone, because you're going to read 1 Corinthians 15 and go, I know what that's talking about. It, when Paul says Jesus is the first fruits of our, uh, of, of our resurrection, Jesus is crucified on the Passover, and then two days later is the celebration, like God clumped some celebrations together, is the celebration of the festival of first fruits. Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> you ever wonder why he had to wait three days? This is why it's so cool. The math in it is unbelievable. Anyways, uh, Jesus raised from the dead on the festival of first fruits, reminding us of what is to come. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the New Testament tells us, dwells in us, and it will quicken our mortal bodies, the writer says. Listen to me. Jesus dies, and he is he has fulfilled the Passover. And then he raises from the dead. He has fulfilled the first fruits. He, and then we get to the festival of Pentecost. We see that it's Jesus himself in the Holy Spirit who gives a harvest Every time we gather together and, we re and, and someone comes to Jesus, we're reenacting that all over again. In the Festival of Trumpets, we see that the trumpets will signal Jesus' coming. So there's all these things in the New Testament that you read. So in our theological uh, positioning, we would say that we believe that Jesus is coming again. And, and the New Testament tells us that that will happen with a trumpet. And we've all just, a, a lot of times we read that and go, oh, this isn't that nice. God just must really love trumpets. We read it and just go, oh, that was weird. Whatever. Why can't he come back to an electric guitar? The reason is, the reason Jesus will come back to a trumpet is because he will fulfill the, the, the festival of trumpets where they're hearkening in a new year, a new era. In the Day of Atonement, we talked about this last, last week, we see that Jesus take, took away all of our sin. We no longer have to live under it. We, listen, the Christianity, maybe you grew up in some kind of a church where you lived under doom and gloom and shame. Leviticus chapter 23 blows that away because Jesus came to be our atonement. We don't have to live under shame anymore. The goat has left the room. Our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. In the day of atonement, in the in the festival of booths, we see that Jesus provides for us. You see, in all of these things, Jesus comes and fulfills all these festivals, and um, our lives. So the children of Israel's lives were ordered around these festivals. Their whole way of being was ordered around these seven festivals. But when Jesus has come, our lives no longer have to be ordered around festivals, but rather ordered around the person of Jesus himself. This is why we sing all these songs about Jesus being everything to us. We're not just singing a song because it's like a love song. I mean, it is a love song, but it is theological in nature. God has called us to orient our entire life around the person of Jesus. And this is why Christianity can't just be like a, a rabbit's foot that we put on or like something that we deal with on Sunday between 10 and hopefully quarter to 12. The person of Jesus is our everything. 
Jesus himself becomes the reason we can have rest and freedom. Jesus himself becomes the reason you can have hope for tomorrow. Jesus himself becomes everything. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Are, are our lives centered around the person of Jesus? It's the only question you need to ask yourself today. Are our lives, is your life centered around Jesus? Now this is kind of a tricky question, right? But in some ways it's a simple question. When it becomes tricky is when we try to like, um, well sort of, my life is ordered. I mean, the thing is for a lot of us, the answer is no. Right, can we just like, for, for a lot of us, the answer is no. It's centered around Jesus sometimes. But what Jesus wants to come and do is have our lives be ordered around him. This is, what, this is what's going to change everything for you. I mean, I, I was trying to think of a way that I could, like, say this in a way that it would be trans, like, I could really get at it today. <laughs> I can only say this, that for some of us, we've been playing possum. We've let Jesus be, you know, one day, one day a week, half a day. I want to call us to deep surrender, all of us to, because when we get to deep surrender, this is when we actually get to live in freedom. This is when we actually get to live with hope and joy. So in this series, we talked about in week one, Leviticus answers the question of how you bring order to chaos. How do you bring order to people whose lives are in chaos? And in week two, we talked about the Korban, how God asks us to draw near to him. And how he's not a God who says you're not enough. He's a God that comes and says, come near to me. I, I am pleased with you. In week three, we talked about the role of the priest and how God calls ordinary people to himself. Last week we talked about the Day of Atonement. The bottom line is this. In the book of Leviticus, we can see that God is not an angry God. Concerned with us following a bunch of arbitrary rules. Rather, he is a God who sees us in our misery and in our slavery and brings life and order back to us. He is a God who calls us near to him. And who is pleased with us? Who sees us in our ordinary state and asks us to draw near to him. He is a God who calls us to be holy. Yes, yes. But he is a God who knows that you cannot do it on your own. And so he brings you. He brings you his covering, Jesus. And he is a God who wants our lives to be marked with joy and celebration. And so he lays out appointed times for us to celebrate. And when Jesus came, that meant that the time of celebration is here, was here. Today, maybe you're here and you've never met this God before. Maybe you've only heard about a God who is somewhat angry, a little bit like cranky. 
Today I want to invite you to know this God, to know this God that knows you by name, that knows every detail of your life, that sees every problem you've ever had, and he calls you by name. Maybe today you're here and you, uh, you've known God, but you've lost sight of the kind of God we're serving, the God of the party. Maybe you've lost your joy somewhere along the way. It just feels like it just, uh, Christianity has felt like you wouldn't probably like stick your hand up and say this, but Christianity's kind of got to be a bit of a drudgery, like, oh no, it's Sunday again. I think it's so cool that towards the end of this book, that this is what God calls us to, profound joy. I, I, we're going to do something, we're going to sing in a minute, a song of joy. But as we do that, and before we do that, I, I want to pray for those of us that have lost our joy. Maybe things are hard for you right now. Maybe your marriage is hard. Maybe your finances is hard. hard. Maybe you got a hard diagnosis from the doctor. I know all these things are true in a room like this. But I want to pray that just as the children of Israel in the middle of the desert, tromping through the desert, eating sand sandwiches, had joy. So you, too, can be filled with the joy of Jesus, that he would come and be that joy for you. We just bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you're here and you would say, Jess, I, I, I need joy to return to my life. I've been without joy or I, I haven't been living with the kind of joy that I know God has called me to. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I, I want to pray for you today. Yeah, yep, 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 all over the place. Yeah, yep. There's nothing to be un, this is nothing to be ashamed of. This is why God had to speak about his appointed times. Because he knew, unless we had rhythm in our life, uh, that we would lose our joy. I'm just going to ask you to stand everywhere, all across the place to your feet. We're, we're going we're to pray that a spirit of joy would be in this place. We're going to pray that God's joy would come and rest on us today. Not in some goofy kind of like, but like a deep knowing, a deep joy that he has come and brought us today. Just raise your hands all across the place. Jesus, I thank you for your children today. God, I thank you that the book of Leviticus teaches us that you are a God of joy, supernatural, Holy Spirit-infused joy. This is the kind of God you are. God, I pray that right in this moment that those of us that have lost our joy, that, God, you would come to us with supernatural joy. I pray that, God, you would, you would give us this profound sense that you are giving us rhythm in our lives. God, I thank you that you are able to take our mourning, the times we've cried, and you're able to, to, to exchange that for a garment of praise. God, I pray that as we would... Um, so we just lift our eyes to you. We'd make you the center of every part of our life. That, God, you would be glorified. And that our lives would, be, uh, would, would really reflect you. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.